0: Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. You may have seen a picture like this if you read the newspaper on Friday. If you didn't read the newspaper on Friday, too bad. Um, But this is a uh, newly built uh, house, Southwest of here, sort of Northwest of Indianola, kind of down there in in, uh, Northern Warren County. Um, And uh, this building is called Jesse J's Sanctuary. Now there were pictures of the inside of this building uh, in the newspaper on Friday as well, but it's the outside, the land right around it actually, that I wanna talk about today. So here's the very quick story of Jesse J's Sanctuary. Jessie was a woman who um, wanted to raise her family right there, I'm pointing at the one behind you, but it's also this one here, right there um, in a house on this farmland in rural Warren County, not too far from here, because she just loved that piece of land so very much. It was actually the land that her husband's parents lived on. And so she and her husband and their two kids wanted to move back there and get to grow up right there. Um, But then the story got really sad um, because Jessie got cancer and she died very young. And we are very, very sad about that. And her husband's parents were also very sad about that, but they said, you know, we think that there is something special right here in this land. And so they had a foundation that they had already built to build the house that Jesse and her family were going to live on. And so they used that foundation to go ahead and build that very house that you see right there as a place where people could come if somebody in their family had cancer. And that they could have just some space and some time and somewhere really beautiful to be, and um, and uh, the father-in-law, his name is Rick, is. Um, turning that ground right there into a restored prairie with lots of butterfly habitat and it's going to be an absolutely beautiful place to go be restored by the gift of this land right here. So I'm thinking about land today and I'm thinking about the amazing gift that land can be. And the way that the place we are and the land that we belong to is part of the way that God provides for us and provides for the people and the communities that we care about. So I wanna just sort of plant, so to speak, that idea in your brains before we listen to this scripture reading. Are you ready for the scripture reading? I know I am.
1: Let us pray. God of mercy, you promise never to break your covenant with us. amid all the changing wor- words of our world. Speak your internal word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises with, faith- with faithful and obedient lives through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves He will put those wretches to a miserable debt and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: I'm thinking as we read our scripture this morning about the difference between owning something and being responsible for something. Now, of course, we all learned because we were all very well raised take responsibility for the things that we own, right, and take care of our things and keep them nice and so on and so forth. Otherwise, we hear that voice in the back of our head telling us to uh, tidy up or clean up or uh, repair what we have, whatever the, the question may be. But Jesus is telling a story that gets at the question of not just our responsibility to the stuff that we have, but our responsibility for what we otherwise seem to own. And he does it by telling this story about some people who don't own the thing that they're taking care of. He tells a story about some tenant farmers. And if you're a tenant farmer, that means, of course, that you do not own the farm that you are working on. And so you are accountable, not only uh, to your own interests and desires, but you are accountable beyond yourself to the owner of that land. But then Jesus tells this story about these tenant farmers who don't want to be responsible to the owner of the land. He says that they have withheld the landlord's share of the produce, and then he asks, now how would the owner of this land Y'all respond if you were the owner of this land. Now there are some different economic assumptions in this parable than there were in the story we read last week about some day laborers who go to work in a vineyard who all they need to to receive at the end of the day is their own pay jesus told that story to a tiny group of his closest followers while they were traveling from out in the country toward jerusalem well this week Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. Within the world of the story, Palm Sunday was yesterday, not here, Palm Sunday is in a few weeks here, so you haven't missed anything yet, but you will. Palm Sunday was yesterday in the world of this story, and so Jesus is now in Jerusalem, he's in the temple, and he is speaking to some powerful people. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the community, He's talking to people who, a lot like most of us, really understand the property owner's side of this story. The the logic of rental and rent payment makes sense, but Jesus casts those religious leaders here as the tenants in the story. You caught that at the very end of what Paige read for us? The chief priests and the Pharisees realized that Jesus was talking about them in this story. So these tenants, these sharecroppers, they refuse to pay the rent. They refuse to give the landlord his share of the produce. And so the landlord works to collect. He sends slaves, servants, to go and settle the accounts with his tenants, and that doesn't go well. And so finally, the landlord sends his very own son, thinking the authority of the son might finally accomplish what the landlord is trying to do here. And so the tenants have a great idea. They decide to murder the heir of the landlord so that they, the tenants, can inherit the property and own it outright. Now, I don't have a background in property law but I am pretty sure that that is the worst property law that I could possibly come up with. But remember who Jesus is telling this story to and about. He's telling this story to an audience that is going to look at this from the landlord's point of view, and under that really terribly written property law, which is not the law because the next thing they, the audience, think that should happen, the next thing they think should happen is that the landlord should call down death and eviction on these tenants, in that order, which is all meant to be ironic. And we know, of course, that as we read this parable, it is, at least on some important level, about God's mission to redeem the earth in Jesus Christ. And so we know, of back from Sunday school, most of us know that when you read a parable, the most powerful figure in the parable is meant to look like God. And certainly here, I think that's what Jesus is getting at. So if the landlord is God, then the heir, the son of the landlord, is Jesus. Are you with me? And these very same religious leaders, in four days, are going to condemn Jesus to death. But this parable right now today leads those same religious leaders to condemn themselves first. Now, I promise we will get to the part where this is a story about God's persistent love, redeeming. Love in Jesus Christ. We will get to that. But we need to take a little bit of a detour first because this is a story also about the land. So during the season of Lent, as we are preparing for Easter, we're listening especially for some of the connections between these really difficult parables that Jesus tells and the issues that are facing our communities in Iowa today. And today, Jesus tells us this story that just leads us right into questions about the land and our relationship to the land and the recognition that we belong to the land. Because Jesus is telling a story that is really deeply rooted inside the history of the relationship between the Israelites and the land that God has established them And this is a complicated history, and the Old Testament tells this really complicated history through a specific theological lens about redemption, about freedom, and about the ability to be established as the community that God intends. And the premise of that whole story is that the land belongs to God. First and foremost, the land belongs to God. And then from the very beginning of that story, God has needed to send prophets who go to call out the entitlement of the powerful elites who don't seem to understand that one, they belong to the land and that two, they as people with power in their community, they are responsible to the rest of the community. And so God has, again and again needed to send prophets to those uh, who were in those positions. And the story continued moving through disaster and exile. And the Old Testament tells that part of the story as well and talks about the way to think about that disaster and that exile as judgment for how those in power uh, behave toward those without power. And this is all in the context of the relationship with the land. So when Jesus tells this particular story, the audience has all of that in the back of their mind. And then it gets more complicated than that, because after Jesus tells this story as sort of an internal Jewish argument over what responsibility to, for, and through the land is all about, a few hundred years after that, the, these followers of Jesus, they call themselves Christians now, become culturally powerful and they start to use actually stories just like the one we just read to oppress those who are not Christian and use a logic that is actually right there in the response of the hearers of the story, the ones who said that the landlord will come and Uh, put those so-and-sos to a miserable death and take their land and give it to somebody else, we start to use that same logic to say that if you don't believe in Jesus, you are not entitled to property rights. And that was used for centuries and centuries in Europe, particularly against the Jews, who, remember, this story was originally told by one Jew to another group of Jews, And that same logic was eventually extended to indigenous people in the Americas when those powerful folks in Europe figured out that there was land here. Now, stick with me here, because the same logic continues to work today in ways that continue to either exclude communities from the land or to deny communities the support that they need to remain on the land. And that same logic applies to small farmers out in rural Iowa and to urban neighborhoods in the cities of Iowa alike. So the logic today is specifically about economics in today's world. Our logic is explicitly about economics, but it is so often propped up with this religious or moral language as if failing to make ends meet were somehow a sin. As if the land exists precisely for economic output, which if you ask an actual farmer, they know that to be untrue. If you ask an actual farmer, they know that they feel a deep abiding responsibility to and for the land. And they are so often stuck within an economic system that denies that we belong to the land and so tends to remove people from the land when they can't make that land profitable, economically viable. And Jesus' story insists that we've got that backwards. Jesus' story insists that we do not own God's world but rather we belong to God's world. And we and God's world both belong to God. That we are placed here to bear God's fruit. We are here to create communities of love and joy and peace and generosity, of patience, of kindness, of self-control. This is all coming out of Galatians, if you want to go find the rest of those words here. Because God tells us, Scripture tells us, what fruit god intends us to produce and there's more that god insists that we produce that fruit and will not give up until our communities and our land are redeemed because that is the other layer to this story jesus tells us that these tenants operating under the the most absurd assumptions about how property law works, decide that they are going to kill the heir of the vineyard, and so they will get to inherit that son's inheritance. But that is actually how it works. See, there's a paradox in this story about how atonement works, because the murder of the Son, that will take place in four days within the story, that will take place in about four weeks as we read through this story, that actually does become an inheritance for us. Now, I put that all the way at the end here because we have a tendency to rush into that a little bit too fast. We tend to rush into the way of justifying Jesus' death as if it could be somehow justified. It is an injustice, and yet God is able to pull from that a greater redemption than we could imagine. So remember that we are reading a story about injustice. We're reading a story about how Jesus' righteousness exposes our own unrighteousness, and at the same time, it points through all of that to the way that we are freed from that same sin. The way that we come to inherit the life that God always intended for us. Because the owner of the vineyard first sent servants to go and collect the fruits of that vineyard and then sent his son to go and collect the fruits of that vineyard and now sends the church, to be part of the continued redemption of that vineyard, of this world God loves so much because God never quits coming into the world to redeem this world for those purposes of love and grace, of peace, of generosity, of faithfulness. That's been the case from the very beginning, and it is the case even now. And so, when God reaches into situations of injustice, situations of tragedy, situations of sorrow, and brings grace out of it, that's what God has always been doing. When we think of a beautiful gift of land like Jesse Jay's sanctuary, just right down there a little bit, We are noticing one of the very many powerful ways that we can belong to this land, that we can belong to this world God gives, so that we can bear the good fruit of God's kingdom, joy and peace and kindness, and share that with God's people. There are a lot of different ways that our relationship with this land can bear good fruit. There are a lot of ways for us to remember that we belong to the land and that we and the land belong to God. And so we celebrate that God insists on redeeming and transforming this world in Jesus' grace. Amen. And now a moment for mission. We lift up as our moment for mission this morning, our March Coins for Concern partner, which is Dorothy's House. All the loose coins in the offering plate this month will go directly to support the mission of Dorothy's House. Since January of 2016, Dorothy's House has offered a safe, supportive space for survivors of human trafficking in Iowa. You may not know that a little under two years ago, Dorothy got a new house, and here is what happened.
2: Leading up to 2019, we started struggling with a lot of flooding in the basement of the cellar of the home that was here previously, where our mechanicals were. And I think at one time we probably struggled with some mold as a result of it and did some remediation for a house that was hundred and thirty years old nine hundred and sixty square feet and had essentially become an administrative building for us because it wasn't large enough to house people comfortably. Later that year we had some foundation blocks fall out of the corner of the house and even though I was the person who laid the subfloor for the kitchen in that home, it was just at a point where any more money that we put into the house was not money that was gonna return to the usefulness of the house. Nick Stevenson from SOS Construction, who was helping me sort of troubleshoot some of these issues, offered to build us a new home or help us build a new home that would better serve our purposes. This is probably the first time in a survivor's life who will do restoration with us that they have had a room of their own where something bad didn't happen. And in addition to that, they come from an environment with tremendous trauma and, and many, many triggers, and establishing safety is a really challenging thing to do. So in our experience, that the years of experience that we've had helping women, um, we realized that creating an environment that is only theirs, uh, which is why the Jack and Jill bathrooms, uh, why the doors lock the way they do, uh, and, and just creating lovely spaces for them uh, that create openness and and sort of a place of their own to retreat to when the going gets tough. Because in re- recovery, it is not a straight uphill line, uh, and, and there are a lot of missteps and back steps and sideways steps, and and it takes a lot of elbow room to heal. When we started talking about the expansion of this home last fall, everybody showed up to help. And everybody, and I've always said to, to volunteers who struggle to know what they can contribute is do what you already do and bring it to us. So if you clean windows, we need lots of windows cleaned. And people did that with roofs, and with flooring and paint and any number of things you know our HVAC systems uh, in order to make this house affordable and to give us the equity that we need um, you know to have some sustainability sometimes and it is a gift beyond my wildest expectations.
0: Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.